and welcome back to the Wheel Talk podcast. My name is Abby Mickey, and I am joined by Tilda Price. Oh, you just took a sip. Lauren Rowney. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. I think that I, my eyes were drawn by the mug, and I was like, oh, I'm going Tilda first. <laughs> I don't expect to be top build usually, so I was like, I'm safe. I'm safe. <laughs> and Gracie Elvin. Hey, hey, I actually I was about to burp. <laughs> We're off to a stellar start. <laughs> it's only the second episode. <laughs> well, technically third. If you uh, if you follow the Wheel Talk feed, the specific Wheel Talk feed, some of you will probably be listening to this on the Placeholders feed or the Escape Collective feed <clears throat> um, on on your listening apps. But if you follow the Wheel Talk podcast specific feed, you'll also get exclusive interviews. So last week we had a chat with Veronica Ewers. Um, she had a very funny anecdote about Rigoberto Iran when she was training down in Colombia. And later on, we've got an episode coming up with Gracie and one of the young riders on Jaco Alula. So some really exciting interviews coming down the road. Sorry for the background noise. And yeah, so it, follow the Wheel Talk <laughs> podcast. Layla's like, I don't want to go to daycare. <laughs> Is that what's happening? Uh, no, she's just tired of her pancakes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> She's she she's learned this high pitched shriek that is like not she's not crying she's just high pitched shrieking for attention like not for attention <laughs> but like she wants you to do something and she obviously can't tell you I would like you to get me out of my high chair now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I know some adults that do that so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so check out the Wheel Talk podcast specific feed if you don't. And uh, if you do, thank you so much for listening. We are going to start the episode, as usual, with some listener questions. Uh, longtime fan of, of me, of my podcasts, and I'm super grateful for, for her. Natalia asks, when it comes to women's Milan San Remo, yes, please, or no, thank you. Do you get a sense of what the Peloton would want regarding the distance? Tilda, you you and Amy had a great chat about this over on the Women's Cycling Weekly pod. So do you want to kick it off with like a little brief, brief thought? Yeah, it's it's a really big discussion and we managed to speak about it for like 40 minutes or something. So it is a big one. And I, th I think a lot of it for us and for a lot of people probably comes down to two things, which would be how it would affect Binder and also the length and what it would be like, because if it was going to be, I don't know, a 120 kilometer race, I'm not so interested in that because that's not really in the spirit of Milan San Remo. But I think something longer could have a really good place in the calendar and it would be nice to kind of build a little block of three races um, in Italy for the women's peloton. And I would have assumed that the peloton weren't that interested but actually i think there is a lot of interest from the peloton last year a lot of the italian riders like marta cavalli and elisa longaborghini said that it'd be something they'd want and then um this year Annemiek van Reuten has joined those voices um kind of being pro milan san remo she said she'd like it to be 200 kilometers 250 kilometers which may be too long for some people but it probably should be quite long because that is the usp of milan san remo um, so yeah, I, I think I kind of like the idea in theory, but 
it would have to be the right kind of race. I wouldn't want to see a kind of substandard Milan San Remo pop up on that Saturday and affect Binder if it wasn't if it wasn't kind of yeah a, a, a good version of that race. But I do think that a well designed course over a long route could be actually a pretty good addition to the women's calendar. Last year, I did like a because obviously no Milan San Remo for the women last year, so I did like a mock race report. And there was someone on Twitter who I can't remember now because it was a year ago um, who published a route that looked pretty good, but I don't think was 200 kilometers. But yeah, 200 kilometers, I think sounds really good. And I I agree. Like if it if we have a Milan San Remo for the women, it should be long. But the question is, where do you put it? In my eyes, with the current calendar and not adjusting where other races go, I think Binda stays on the Sunday because it's one of the longest running races on the women's calendar. And I think that if you move it to like a week spot, a weekday spot, or if you cancel it, it's really a disservice to that race and how much effort they've put into the women's Peloton before it was cool. So what if you threw like a women's Milan San Remo on the Friday before Binda, I remember we stayed in a hotel and Movistar, the men's Movistar team for Milan San Remo was in the same hotel. There was another hotel just down the street that had green edge in it. And so I feel like it, it's not impossible to have the women's Milan San Remo on the Friday and then have Binda stay on the Sunday and have kind of the same teams do both. But if it's a really long race that might really impact you know, how the racing is at Binda is the only mm, thing. I, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it stays within my theory that no major women's races should be on the same day as the men's race. Well, I mean, you had the race in Belgium, which obviously wasn't 200 kilometers on the Wednesday, and Weavers and a bunch of riders went. Was Weavers there? Yeah, she was because she got second. Yeah, she traveled across to Italy um, and I think we, we can get into it, but there was another listener question about whether it would make sense to have a bigger block in Italy. And I 100% agree with that, not necessarily because of the weather, because I think that's just part of the spring racing. It's just how it's always kind of been. But yeah, if we talk about climate change, things are shifting in the world. Um, but I would say even you could put Milan San Remo on a Wednesday or Thursday because teams would stay that that length of time there, I suppose. Um, and if Strada was a bit closer, it would have been great because then you could almost have Strada, Milan, San Remo and Binder in one week. And I would say the women's peloton could handle that. But again, I don't know if it was a 200-kilometer race how people come out on the other side of that. That said, again, like... Flanders has been 160 and we're talking like a really, really hard race where Milan San Remo, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't have that much elevation. It's a really fast race and the most exciting part, at least when I watch the men's, is the last 30 kilometers. You know the website, Um, is Milan San Remo exciting yet? What is it? There's a website. There's a website that's is Milan San Remo exciting yet? And it just it's just a blank page and it just says no. And then <laughs> and then when they hit like, I don't know, a K to the Poggio, it's like, yes, in an exclamation point. And then like as soon as the Poggio ends, it's like, no. 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't love Milan San Remo. I feel like I, I maybe am the outlier in this situation because I'm like, ah, oh, this is like the most boring monument on the calendar. I, I don't care if the women have a Milan San Remo or not because I love Binda. Binda is like a monument in the on the women's side. It's been around so long. It's got so much history. It's it, before there was the Women's World Tour. It had like the best of the best showed up to Binda. We've had like the last couple of years. Binda's really taken a hit not having the men's race attached i feel like we have kind of a lesser start list show up to this race sometimes this year i think was with webus there who's one of the best riders in the world at the moment like that that was awesome voss was back so there were some pretty exciting names on the start list but still like no on meek no demi like we still were missing a lot of the best riders. And obviously Aliza's out because she had COVID the last two weeks and, and isn't uh, ready to race yet. But it's a super interesting question. I, I liked, Tilda, I liked your tweet about it when you tweeted something about Drenta being moved to the fall. I actually love that. I, I, I like that idea. I mean, there's a couple, I, I want, I think there should be more exciting one days at the end of the season. We have worlds and we have, now we have a couple new races that are popping up on the calendar. When we had Liege Bass on Liege in 2020, it was in the fall. yeah. And like I, the, the pictures of Lizzie winning with all of the leaves, like orange and yellow falling all over the road was just stunning. And I think having a fall one day world tour one day is not the worst idea in the world. And honestly, Drenta is one of those races that could be moved, I think. And there wouldn't be, it wouldn't impact the calendar that much. Cause at the moment you've got teams. I mean, it, it always comes back to this, this question of the world tour teams and, and like, the structure of having one tier, two tiers of women's teams, because the world tour teams that shouldn't be world tour aren't even sending teams to Binda. Uh, they're either sending a team to Binda or they're sending a team to Drenta. They're not doing both because they can't actually get from place to place. They can't get from Strada to the north of the Netherlands all the way back down to Italy and then back to Belgium for Ghent, Wevelgem and, and uh, Depana that's coming up this week. So it's just like, I mean, the ca- the calendar's chaos. I don't think we should get into it. I think you guys had a really awesome chat on on the Women's Cycling Weekly podcast. If anyone wants to go listen to that, um, we miss Amy a lot. We got a lot of comments. Yep, we miss her. You don't worry. It's it's a it's a it's a wound that is still open. But yeah, it's. I don't think we should get into like a full calendar discussion today. But it is definitely an interesting thought because throwing a Milan San Remo in there would definitely disrupt the calendar we have. But I don't think it would be the worst thing if that happened. We Yeah, like you said, we don't need to get into it. But, you know, with the again, going back to this, I always come back to it. Um, the UCI's sustainability po- policy um, for the future, I think that's a huge consideration they've had to take into account because, you know, they've signed on to this UN Sports for Climate Action and... By doing so, you have to commit to a, a certain set of targets. I think it's leading to 2030. And so calendar structure is definitely one of those things because, like you said, Abby, with some of these teams that don't have um, the means, say, as Trek Secafredo, who have so many buses, 
um, and so much stuff that they can just send people to Belgium and Italy and Spain at the exact same time. Um, you've got people driving all over Europe for a bike race. Um, it just doesn't make sense. I, I think there needs to be blocks in certain parts of Europe and you go to, you almost have to kind of follow the weather in that sense. Gracie, what do you think? Should there be a women's Mont San Remo? I feel like it would have been a race that really suited you when you were riding. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. I definitely agree with most of the points that have been raised already, so I won't go over them again. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's just, yeah, going on from what you guys are saying, It's there's bigger problems. So idealistically, yeah, it would be nice and it would be nice to have a Lombardia as well, but it's like where do you put all this stuff in? And historically this conversation has happened plenty and without even having San Remo as a women's race as part of the argument, like that trek from Strada to Drenta and then back to Binda has been an issue for ages now. For, when did um, Strada start? Back in 2015. 2015. So since then, and I do believe that it is Binder that has always refused to change, whereas Drenta has said, you know, we're, we're happy, we're open to changing our weekend. So I don't know, Binder, for me, I don't love it actually as much as you do, Abby, but mm -hmm. that's another story. I think it's still awesome that they've been doing it for so long. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a really important race and it's a really good legacy race now. But they, I think they're quite staunch on not wanting to ever change either. So I think that could be quite a sticking point there. But saying that, it could be nicer to have a bit, bit more of an Italian block there for a few weeks sit from Strata and just kind of avoid the north for that month and then hit the, the cobbled classics after this weekend. So I don't know. It's a tough one, but. We're just not quite at that breaking point yet of having two rosters of different kinds of races. We're, we're, we're almost there, but it's just I think there's going to be a lot of difficulty in women's cycling, um, and this is just one of those issues of just ha not having that either two tiers or, or two rosters at the World Tour level like the men have. Yeah, I think that's a really great um segue into talking about the race because obviously Trek Segafredo is hurting a little bit for riders at the moment. They only started five on Sunday. Um, but I guess we have two more listener questions. I think I'm going to throw them into the end of the episode so we can talk a bit about the race because, because this is great. I love a good segue. Uh, before we, before <laughs> we dive into the race proper, Tilda, let's hear it. Yes. It was a relatively quiet start to the race. Um, the attacks didn't really go straight away. Obviously, in, in Binder, that it starts with um, a big, a big long kind of A to B section, which has three significant-ish climbs. So there are a lot of chances for moves to go, but they didn't really. There was um, a few Italian riders were away at the start, and then on the first categorized categorized climb, um, we had a move from Kim Kadzao. Guy Riolini, Paulina Royakas, and Anna Shackley were um, away for a little while. And because I was reading a race report this morning that did not mention that at all, and I thought, did I imagine that? But it did happen. <laughs> and I don't think it's insignificant, because if we're talking about Riolini, especially, you know, she was covering those moves from the get-go. So they were away for a little while, and they were kind of caught over the, the plateau of this climb, um, the first categorised climb. 
so they were brought back and then I, I think that climb had been pretty hectic so it kind of calmed down after that and they were getting towards the circuits so I think everyone was taking a breather a little bit before the circuit started at Binder you kind of expect as soon as the circuits start for the attacks to go but it didn't really happen like that um I think the peloton had been whittled down quite a lot so there were not so many riders left by the time they got to the circuits and yeah for the for maybe the first two circuits there were not loads and loads of attacks um there were kind of when the when the tv started so on the third to last lap what we were seeing was I would say less attacks but more that the peloton was really strung out and then if one person let the wheel go suddenly there was a group of nine up the road and then they were brought back because someone had missed it and then again a group of seven went this is when we had Cassie Nuvodoma and um, Mariana Voss in the group but obviously that was just a bit too dangerous and they were chasing behind and they didn't have much much time at any point so it was almost a shame that those groups weren't a bit more committed and successful but um with fdj missing like three moves in five minutes they were really closing everything down um and so then yeah on the penultimate lap everything was still together and coming into the orino trek just organized like i've never seen a team organized in binder and they had four of them on the front just basically a, a train up the climb um and they kind of again this was making riders drop out the back and then yeah um over the top of that climb or reno kind of the the end of the penultimate lap shirin just kind of went um over the top they'd caught a few riders who were out front i just completely skipped over the breakaway <laughs> that's fine because <laughs> uh yeah swinkles was up there yeah so we had Chiboko, Swinkles and Adahist, which for a while I thought they had a really good chance because they had about a minute and with Adahist bridging across she's really strong but honestly as soon as Trek got on the front that gap just like came down like immediately and so then yeah Shirin kind of launched over the top it was just a really perfectly timed move and then as soon as she went and Trek held off the pace just dropped in the peloton and she just stretched out this lead it was never really a particularly big lead at any point um but yeah with with track not working she she was kind of holding off on the last lap um a big big effort from mavi garcia saw saw what had remained of the peloton maybe split in half and we lost about half the riders because of just a massive effort from garcia and that's when sd works seemed to lose all five of their riders who had been in the group and then but almost that was kind of then the end of that group because then there was just no one left to work. There was Amanda Spratt who wasn't going to do anything. There were a couple of Canyon SRAM riders. Um, there were some live riders, but with Balsamo in the group, I don't know if like they didn't want to bring it back. And it was very strange, I would say. I'm not going to, like, it wasn't the kind of group two syndrome that we sometimes talk about where they just kind of gave up, but it was more just the turns were a bit half-hearted. You'd see Juliette Lebu get on the front and ride really hard for like a minute and then just drop off and there was no one rotating in to keep it going. And yeah, it they just never really got close enough to Shirin. The gap 
was pretty small at points. It was less than 20 seconds, but they just couldn't quite close it. And then, yeah, the efforts just kind of ran out. And with Spratty there and Balsamo, they weren't going to bring it back. Sprat was covering everything. And yeah, yeah and Guy really, she was still there too, right? Yeah. Trek had three. Trek had, so. yeah, Amanda, yeah. Sprat, yeah. Guy Riolini, and uh, Balsamo. So they really had the numbers. And I think for them, they've had kind of a lackluster start to the European scene. Obviously, they won the Queen stage, got 1-2 on the Queen stage of the UAE tour and won the overall there. But their opening weekend was not awesome. And uh, their strata was not awesome. So this was a really great turnaround for them, I feel. So I think we should dive into Trek Segafredo because they they really brought a young and new team to this race. I wrote a piece for Escape Collective. If you want to read it, it's over there. But their team that made up here is not doesn't contain any of their core riders that have been on the team since the team started in 2019. Obviously, Elisa Longborghini is out with COVID. Ellen is pregnant. Lizzie Dagnan will be back in a couple weeks, but she had a baby in fall in the fall of 2022, so she's still still not racing. And so when you look at their lineup, they have you know Elisa Balsamo, new to the team last year, only 25, obviously world champion and incredible rider, but still not part of that core team that Trek has always leaned on. And then Guy Riolini, 21 phenomenal talent but very new to the women's world tour uh sheeran's been on the team since 2020 she started as a trainee in 2020 and then signed in 2021 so she's actually the longest running team member on the on the team but is only 21 years old and then amanda spratt aliza uh, amanda spratt and Brody chapman who are both new recruits and so it's it's unusual for a team that's so young and also so new to being teammates to organize uh, teamwork like we saw on Sunday. It was incredible. I think a lot of it goes down to Trek Segafredo's professionalism. I think that they just kind of breed an environment that it's it, for a rider like, say, Amanda Spratt, who's been racing for a really long time and is very aware of what it takes to be a professional for her to slot into a team like Trek Segafredo and have someone like Ina Tutenberg, who's just a legend of the sport directing her there's, she's going to find it super easy to be part of a team like that, if that makes sense. So I was excited to see how well they rode, especially given that we've had so much SD works dominance. I love to see another team win. I, I mean, we went from SC Works getting 1-2 at like every single race in Europe to Trek Segafredo getting 1-2 on Sunday, which I just find so interesting. <laughs> yeah, but but like you said, um, I, I also went back and looked at all the winners and past results because I was curious about SD Works. And yeah, um, do you think maybe as well as the calendar is filled and filled and filled, um, they don't, like you said before, they never really send their, their A team to Binder. It's like, uh, that's such a horrible thing to say. Or it's kind of like the, you know, if people are injured or they got riders focusing on the the big classics coming up. Or the Ardennes. Because we've got, I think know, they send their, like, the team that's getting ready for the Ardennes, but minus their top riders. I mean, I was shocked to see Lorena on the start list. Like, 
shocked. I said it in the preview. I was like, there's no way that Lorena is going to be at this race. And then they announced their team, you know, Saturday before the race, as you do. And, and Lorena was on the start list and I was like, wow, (laughs) that's, uh, that's a surprise for me. I think she's trying to prove that she's more than just a sprinter and she's Mm -hmm. trying to like show up to those medium hilly races, but Binder's still too hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, she, she won it as a junior. She won the, the Piccolo, uh, the junior version that happens in the morning before the women's race in 2017, but she's still, I feel like on DSM, she was only sent to races that she would win. Like she was only sent to the, to the pure sprinter races. They, they would never send her to any races that had any hills in them, even though she can race those races and it was really frustrating as a spectator that she wasn't in races like amsel gold and stuff like that because i i do think she's more than just a pure sprinter and it was one of the reasons i was really excited for her to go to sd works because they don't allow riders to only go to races that they're going to win you would see van de bregen show up at races so she could work for riders like you know Amy Peters, like it wasn't ever just a situation where you only sent your top riders to the races that they're going to win. But DSM really put Lorena in a box where they would only let her race the races that she was going to win. And so I was, I was excited to see her on the roster, but I was also shocked because yeah, SC works in the last couple of years, they have not sent their top riders to this race. And it's always kind of gone poorly for them it could it could go well it could mean we get a situation where we see anna shackley take her first world tour one day victory you know but for some reason they they just never put together a good race at this race and this was one of those situations like there wasn't a single su works rider in the second group and i Mm -hmm. assume it's because they sent their entire team back to lorena to try to bring her back yeah i think Going back to Gracie's point, if if you're going to send a rider like Lorena there, um, because we've seen Corinne Lebecki win the race in 2017, and, you know, Elisa Balsamo, it was a really hard race last year, but we know how well she climbs. Um, You've got to have a team that's so strong that they can control the race, but the sprinter also has to take care of themselves when the pace is high. And so it's having that belief in the rider that, yeah, they can get through a really tough race, but then like what Trek did last year, they just controlled that race because they knew if they delivered her to the line, she would pull it off. And that was the only way that Lorena was going to have a shot at the race was if they had a team around her that was controlling the race and it just, they didn't have the the strength. And I didn't think, I didn't pick Balsamo for the win either because my automatic assumption looking at the Trek Fredo lineup was that there was no way that that team was going to hold the race together for a sprint. They're all incredibly strong riders, but the reason that Balsamo won last year was Ellen Van Dyke. It was Ellen Van Dyke on the front for like the entire last two laps, just like welding everything together. And I remember last year, there was one moment where Longa Borghini was in a break and just kind of sat on the back and killed it. And they just don't have this lineup that they brought doesn't have the star power or the horsepower to be able to hold it together for Bosma. At least that's what I thought when I looked at it. I mean, 
when I was looking at it, I was like, well, they're clearly going to ride for Spratty. Like <laughs> she's riding really, really well. And she could get away on one of those climbs, I think. I don't know. But it, I mean, they, they timed it perfectly. They timed it so well. And Shirin, I mean, Balsamo was riding incredibly well, obviously, to get second. But I think part of that was the chase being uncooperative. And when Shirin attacked, it was just, Riolini had sp split the peloton so much and spread it out so much. They were in one long line. And Shirin's move was just perfectly timed, even though the moto got in the way. Moto was all up in her business. It got in the way a few times, didn't it? Yeah. It was she was telling it telling it to bugger off <laughs> after a couple of descents there. It must be frustrating. Yeah. But yeah. What I really liked too was that Trek Segafredo and you've said it already, like they were just so well drilled. Like Spritey did a really good job policing all of the extra moves after that. And then Raylini went into this um, protector mode and you could tell she was constantly looking at Balsamo and for her and making sure she was protected and, and if she needed to be welded back to that group, then she was ready. So to see such a young rider do such a good job in that role, I, I was really impressed with that. The one thing that struck me and I keep thinking about is that we don't really see SD Works controlling a race in the way that Trek do. Like their approach to controlling and dominating a race is more sending multiple riders on the attack they uh, you don't really see sd works lined out in the way that that trek were and i think that's is that like a changing tactic in women's cycling slightly that we don't usually see a team lining up on a climb like that and and yeah i, I think sd work sorry trek segafredo's commitment to just getting organized and riding as a team like that is always something they've been really good at and it's always something SD works i don't know if they couldn't do it but it's just not usually their approach like if you even think about drenta in the finale of that they weren't sitting on the front with all five of their riders they were sending their riders off on the attack when they could have just sat in a line and led the pelts on and so, so i think is that a difference that we see between those teams and how the SD Works approach maybe works better in a Belgian or, or, or Dutch race, but it doesn't really work when you want to hold things together over a climb. I hate to make this point, point <laughs> but I wonder if it's because the Trek Segafredo team has a men's equivalent. I was thinking that. <laughs> and SD Works. I had is, that in my head. Yeah, SD Works has always been a, a solo women's only outfit that has very much developed their tactics based on the style of women's racing and SC and Trek Segafredo will have watched. I mean, their directors will have watched the men's race and maybe gained some ideas from the way that men race. And, but yeah, but those tactics don't always work in a women's Peloton, but they, sometimes they do. And maybe that's what we saw on Sunday. I don't know. It just seems like, yeah, when I was watching Trek, I was just thinking about SD Works. And I was like, you don't see them doing this. But then also, I guess, you know. Different styles of the directors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Ina Tudenberg, who's the the head director for the women's team, she's obviously German, but has raced, had, had raced on an American team for a really long time. Um, lining, lining it up and racing like that, I think is 
like quite an American tactic. That's like something you see in crit racing in the US. And yeah. well, and I think when she was on HTC, they were the number one team in the world, and they really did have the monopoly of riders. At one point, they had everyone, and they had the best sprinters in the world. So that's how they used to win races, and no one could match them. And they were drilled and organized. And I think maybe she's brought a bit of that across. And again, when you when you have that strength in a team and they do a really well, um, a really good job, obviously, of getting everyone integrated on, on board with, you know, the team culture and everything. Like you were saying, there's there's new riders, but it feels like they've been there for years already. Um and that's just that comes down to team culture and how they they pick their riders as well. Um, sometimes they don't get it right, but generally speaking, um, yeah, they they know who needs to be in the team and what that person is going to be able to do and contribute. And like you look at Loretta Hansen and how she's just developed into this incredible talent um, from year to year and. I, when when I heard she was injured, I was all I was thinking is, what are they going to do in the spring classics now? I'm so gutted for her. She was riding so well this year. Yeah, big shout out to her. Yeah, <laughs> she she will bounce back because she's just you know she's been through some shit in the past couple of years with with certain injuries and um, she's still young. That's. She's got plenty of time ahead of her and she'll keep developing. But I, I think I don't want to go on a tangent, but um Trek had a great race on on Sunday, but it's gonna be really challenging going into the next two weeks with all the classics coming up because you know, everyone's gonna bring their A team. Um and I think they're they're really down now. And I feel without Loretta there, it's it's going to be hard. They announced after yeah. Ellen announced her pregnancy that they aren't going to take advantage of the UCI's new new rule that if you have a rider out from maternity leave, you can hire a replacement. They announced they're, they're not going to do that. And I wonder if now that they're down Loretta, that they're really regretting that decision because it's, yeah, they, I don't know who they would pick up because there's also rules in place where if they're signed for a UCI team, you can't. But man, that is just, that kind of opens the conversation to what the hell is going on at Zaf. But before we, before we get to Zaf and the kind of rumors around that team, uh, I want to talk about the chase because it was really interesting. As Tilda said, there was very confusing tactics going on in the chase. And one of the questions that we got was, please explain Canyon Sram's tactics. Canyon Stram had three riders in that chase, one of them being Cash and Iwadoma, and they really did not organize a chase to, to chase down Shirin. Kasha, when she she attacked on the Areno climb, the penultimate time, the the last time, one of the I think it was yeah, I think it was the penultimate time and brought the gap to Shirin down to like eight seconds. And then as soon as they went over that climb and they were back on the flat, they all were just looking at each other. It was like they they came to a complete standstill. You could see the group behind them, Lorena Weebus in it chasing. And it was such a weird situation. And I mean, something that I never like love to see in racing when they all like look at each other because you're like, oh my God, 
you have to keep going. <laughs> SD Works is right behind you. Uh, but it was, yeah, I was pretty disappointed to see Canyon Srim's style of <laughs> style of racing. And DSM had three riders in there too, and they were also or two riders in there too, with uh, with Labu, who I called as a pre-race favorite, um, based on the fact that the Lippert and Makai are both gone and she is such an incredible rider. She had some really incredible results last year. And you'd think that she would, it's her time to shine at DSM. And yeah, man, there were some weird tactics going on. Yeah. I just think that's like, you do see that scenario reasonably often because, you know, Trek had the numbers, but they also had the best sprinter in that group in Balsamo and everyone just gets so scared by that that they don't realize that they're going to lose the race anyway. Like you have to keep shuffling the deck and you have to keep putting yourself back in a winning position. And when you don't chase, you're not in a winning position, even if you've got the sprinter in the group. Yep. Like, so I I think that everyone fucked up except for Trek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everyone in that group. And there was a couple of people, like I think Garcia was trying to rally people, but like in general they just, they were trying to go one, 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 and it just it was just That's stupid. Yeah, yeah, you have that situation where every time an attack goes off the front, then they're caught. It just, everyone lull. just sits up. And so you just, if you have any speed, as soon as that person is caught, the speed is gone. In, instead of, you know, there was... We had Cavalli in there. Really excited to see her back in the Peloton. Um, hopefully it's not it's not too soon, but I was happy to see her on the start list. Uh, Cavalli, we had uh, Vittoria Guazzini in there. We had, like, there were multiple teams that had two riders, three riders, that if, for example, say DSM threw Elise and then Canyon Stram put like Ricarda up there, they could have had multiple teams team together to bring it back. And then it's a free for all. Then, you know, you send Kasha up the road, you send Lubu up the road once you've caught Shirin, but it was negative racing is what it was. I feel like yeah. we have this, this conversation every year with this race. <laughs> if I, if I think back to it. Yeah. Just end up in a strange position where you've got like a group of, you know, they were mainly more like climbing puncher type riders, but with Balsamo in there and they just didn't know what to do. And, but yeah, I think also the bit that's really frustrating is that the time gap was so small that it would have taken so relatively little organization to bring that back. Like it was like 16 seconds at some point. And if you just rotate on the front effectively for a few minutes, suddenly you bring that back. But it was just, yeah, I, I think it's this kind of mix-up between whether riders were attacking or or taking a turn on the front. And yeah, if if someone just took a turn on the front, the second wheel would just let them go. And it was like, no, 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 you need to also work on the front with them. And then you bring it back. It seemed really like obvious, but yeah, it was it was a bit a bit strange. And I felt I really felt for the riders that were really trying. And just getting nowhere. Like it was, it was really a really good ride from Mavi Garcia, but she didn't have teammates, and she wasn't she really was getting any herself. help from anyone else. We did forget mm. that she switched teams in the last episode. Taylor Wiles texted me and said, "Gracie, Mavi's on live now." 
Oh, shit, she is too. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it was our first episode. We're going to make mistakes. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think in the specific case of Canyon Stram, it kind of goes back to that they don't have, for this lineup, you know, they had, I'm pretty sure Tiff was there, but yeah. they yeah. there's like a lacking of on-the-road, direct uh, like an on-the-road leader, because Cash has never really been been that like a captain on the road she's a leader that can win but she's not a captain on the road who can dictate to other riders what they should be doing do we think canyon saram are gonna pull it together at any point this season in a classic maybe a stage of a stage race but i just don't see where the win is gonna come from i just Mm. i'm just like always i always think that cash is is a rider to watch and she is it's so frustrating because in every in a lot of races especially races like this one she's a rider to watch and when she run won in 2019 it was incredible that 2018 that was one of my favorite years mm-hmm. ever i mean the weather was horrendous she had this incredible attack she descends like a bat out of hell and so she it was just like amazing but yeah it's so looking at their lineup i think if they were to win a race it would be one of the best races of the year because it would have to be something completely unexpected they would have to trick trek and sd works to win a race because they can't organize and win on strength we've seen it over and over again and they can't they can't bring it back from being behind like if, if they're ever on the back foot they just don't recover from that like you would have liked to see like in that like if Elise had followed Shirin something like that like that's how they're going to win by being in the front not they're not they just don't ever bring it back it's it's a bummer i mean we kind of mentioned it last episode as well that they've they could just be Gracie said it they could just be a development team and they have a lot of young riders on the team so that is kind of a maybe as well have you ever considered this like Cassia she's been there since 2016 is it time for a move? I think the past years, it's it's yeah. been time. She's signed through 2024, so it would have to be post-Olympics oh, wow. that she would move. The question there is, like, where would she go? Because she's, she's a leader. She's a winner. Movistar. Yeah, but if, yeah, exactly. Oh, like, yeah. she's a winner, but yeah. if you compare her to, like, SD Works top riders and Trex top riders, she's... She's not quite there in terms of She could be, skill. I think, in the right environment. Yeah. I agree. She just probably needs other people to bounce off more because yeah. she's doesn't she's usually alone or if there are riders there, they're not very experienced and like they're not cohesive, even if they don't mean to be. Like it's just frustrating. Like Binder was a good example. It didn't look like they talked at all. <laughs> they're all yep. just doing their own thing. And because they're all quite strong in that kind of race, they're all just having their own race. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at her kind of best seasons, it was when she was on Bulls Dolmans and uh, WM3 and she had, you know, Voss as a teammate on WM3. And so they could really play off of each other. And and all eyes were on Voss instead of Kasia. And I mean... She's one of my favorite riders. And when she does win a race, it's it's in so much style. Mm. Or she has so much style, but it's it is like a f- few and far between 
situation that lines her up to be able to win. So I think she needs, yeah, well, like you said, till 2024. But if she continues on after that, she can. She's still young enough. I, I would I would say if, if she really wants to continue and she wants to keep winning and trying to win, I mean, like, if we look at Spratty, it's like she's been renewed as well, joining Trek, and she's 35. Yeah. There was a couple major news items that happened over the week. Faulkner was officially disqualified from Stradabianchi, which means that Cecily Utrecht-Ludwig is now third um, in the official results. She's She was pretty outspoken on social media about how uh, she didn't intend to cheat. She the, the device, the glucose monitoring device, wasn't connected to her phone, but that is not the rule. The rule is that you can't wear one. Um, and so, yeah, the UCI disqualified her, but she made some really good points about the benefits of a glucose monitoring device, especially for women and how for women and men, eating disorders are a huge part of the sport. Um, and having a glucose monitoring device can really counterbalance that a bit. And I thought, I thought she made some really good points. I mean, we have heart rate monitors, we have power, power meters, like why this why can't this be just another tool that is used especially for the women i think i think i might actually agree with her yeah i do agree too because you get a you get an alert right when you need to basically eat but before so it's not too late drop yeah so also maybe for for young riders uh like when you're just inexperienced and you're in the moment and you're not thinking about it because maybe you're stressed yeah it would be pretty helpful. I think um, someone made this point on the on the Escape Collective uh, Placeholders podcast that learning how to fuel is part of racing, but also like I think learning how to pace yourself is part of racing, and a power meter <laughs> tells you how to pace yourself. So if you're going by that logic, then it doesn't quite hold up. No, there's the, the purists always bring up that argument of like, you need to ride, you need to know how to ride your bike and race your bike by feel. And you're like, well, yes, but you learn to do that by using tools. And that's all of that stuff is a power meter is a tool, a Garmin's a tool, glucose monitor is a tool. And we, we all have so many wearables nowadays and some people take them too far, of course. And that is a problem, but if you can have uh, good management around that people overseeing the tools that you're using and it could be helpful if you were trying to manage someone that overtrains or under eats I think it's actually one of the better tools out there now and it's um, you know it was only available to diabetics for a long time and now it's mainstream and I think it's super helpful. I think the real issue is why the UCI isn't allowing it in races. And I think I'm, I can't remember all of the reasons they've given, but I think for them, it's largely an image thing. They don't want to have people looking like they've got, you know, implants and funny stuff. And I guess it's like a little bit of a, a hangover from all of the, the doping days. They don't want that image of the sport to be tarnished again. Mm. And I think this one is, you know, that they might be behind if they they keep this rule in place any longer because a lot of other sports are going to take it up because it's it's really helpful, it's really beneficial, 
And that's the level of sport nowadays. You have to be doing everything. You have to like be monitoring um, athletes' health and performance. And this is such a great tool to do that. Other, we got a couple questions about uh, the SVB Silicon Valley Bank situation with EF. There's still no word on how that, uh, how the collapse of S- Silicon Valley Bank in the U.S. is going to affect the team. So we'll keep everyone informed when we eventually do here. We had two other questions from listeners. Bromley asked all the talk about volering Capecchi at Strada. Could that have something to do with Dutch versus, versus Belgian rivalry? And we talked about that a little bit last year, just that they would have just had different mindsets. That's more, I think, in reference to men's cycling and more specifically, Walt versus Mature. I don't think that that's but like I, a... It doesn't exist in women's cycling, no. <laughs> because the Dutch are just... Are just leagues ahead. Yeah. I mean, the only nation that's anywhere close to the Dutch in terms of being able to. F- the Italians. Is the Italians, not the Belgians. Kapeki is incredible, yeah. but she's she's kind of on her own in terms of. Well, I, I would say that um, we did talk about it last year, but there is definitely a rise in Belgian talent. But that's also because finally. Uh, like Sport Vlaanderen and Belgium Cycling um, are investing more money into the women and there's more development programs and and such, whereas there just wasn't that in place before. Belgium is one of those countries that is backwards still, or I like to think we're always 10 years behind everyone else, but they do see the value now in in developing young talent. So that's really good. And I'm sure we're going to see some really strong generations coming through. But there was a young Belgian rider, um, Justine, uh, from AG Insurance, who was up there in that front group. Yeah, she was eighth in in Binda. She did really well. And, I mean, we all, we have the, the Planta Pura team as well that has some incredible d- Belgian, young Belgian talent on there. And, yeah, AG Insurance will be good for them going forward shari boss as well took her first yeah. pro win yesterday yeah mm-hmm. yeah so there's definitely some good belgians and i think Kapeki is like an awesome role model maybe isn't the right word but like influence beacon yeah she's a beacon yeah it's like leading the way a little bit yeah for yeah. her to win uh for her to win flanders last year i think would have really inspired some young belgian women girls to jump on their bikes the next day um mm-hmm. but yeah i think in terms of the the kopecky volering situation specifically i don't know how much a rivalry had to do with it so much as just different um nation nationalities different mindsets yeah i like the the dutch versus italian rivalries is one of my favorite storylines yeah yeah Yeah. i don't think that there's yeah the rivalry there between the dutch and the belgians but i i reckon i could tell you that that kopecky's (laughs) probably not so keen to hear that weebers wants to show that she's not just a sprinter (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's for sure yeah she's like come on i already have to deal with demi god damn it (laughs) she's like i've just given up my sprint to climb better yeah oh god uh that i can't wait to see when we get into the belgian races and 
they maybe have the three of them on the start line, how that's going to go. It's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fun. I mean, I imagine Flanders, we're going to have all three of them on the start line for that. Well, then all Trek needs to do, and I think this is what they're going to have to do, is just be super opportunistic and just a lot of luck and hoping that <laughs> there isn't a lot of cohesion um, in a certain really big team. If there's infighting but- in SD Works, then... We'll have some interesting spring classic. Yeah. Well, we will see. That might be the only way to take them down. (laughs) But we've said that in the past and we've been burned. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, many times. (laughs) I mean, it has gotten in the way of the Dutch national team winning things. But SU Works is its own its own beast. One of the other major rumors over the weekend had to do with the Zaf team. And if you'll remember, there was news of a new women's cycling team out of France that was headlined by Audrey Cordon Margot. That fell apart. It was kind of it was connected to the B and B men's team. Both of them folded. The women who they'd signed an entire roster was all left out to dry, but a lot of them were picked up by a Spanish team, Zaf, run by Manel Lacomba, who used to run the Silence team years ago, uh, who riders on that team included Danny Rowe, who is now a commentator for GCN. But because it's mostly rumors and we don't have a ton of information at the moment, I think we're going to hold off talking about what's going on at Zaf and see how the story develops over the week because there will surely be more information and when we have a better picture of what's going on and we can accurately talk about what is happening, then I think we'll talk about it then. So we didn't forget to talk about Zaf. We just, we're going to wait until we know what's going on and then we'll dive into that. Anyway, all right. I think that's good for this week's episode. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. For our next episode, it's going to be very exciting. We are doing a live recording during Ghent Wevelgem. Me and Lauren will be on Discord. So if you're a member of the Escape Collective, then you have access to the Escape Collective Discord and you can watch us watch the finish of a race live. We were doing it last year for a different podcast uh, during the Tour de France Femme and it was really, really fun, but we didn't have an audience. And this year we're going to have an audience, which is terrifying oh yeah <laughs> we can have questions can we see the audience questions. we can see their their like little profile little heads. photos okay yeah that's all right that's but they can ask that's us less questions daunting. And, and tell us that we're wrong. i'm like the the worst worst public speaker and even on like zoom calls where i've had like 50 people and you have to say give a little speech on a zoom call i get sweaty palms and I'm not even physically in the room. <laughs> great. So it should go well. Uh, I would, It'll be great. I would like to see for for when we when we do this. My hope is that we have one member of the of the Discord, uh, a certain Debbie, chiming in to live corrections corner us. That would be awesome. Oh. Uh, I'm sure she listens to this podcast, and and I'm going to influence <laughs> her to to be there with us. 
<laughs> my, one of my favorite podcasts in the world is Pop Culture Happy Hour by NPR. And they usually end episodes on Friday. Um, they have like a daily episode, but on Friday they end episodes with uh, Can't Get Enough of. And mm-hmm. I kind of want to start ending our episodes with something that we can't get off our, our minds. Um, they're doing it over at the the Geek Warning podcast as well. And I think it's super cool. What do you guys think? I like it. Yeah. But is it anything? What are they saying over there? Like, oh, I can't stop thinking about this one crank or Allen key. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, But I don't know what to call it yet. Um, I've been trying to come up with with ideas. But for now, is there anything that that you guys can't can't stop thinking of? I think it can be for us. I think it can be anything. I I think it can be completely non-related to cycling. For me, it would be Taylor (laughs) Swift's Eras Tour. (laughs) I, I think we should just go rogue little bit of our like our our personalities sprinkled into because there's not enough of our personalities in this podcast but <laughs> who wants to go first oh right on the spot I don't have anything prepared <laughs> I don't know I feel like all of my current obsessions I can't really share here mm. <laughs> that's true they have something that you're willing to share what on earth are you obsessed with, Gracie? <laughs> well, no, there's just there's, there's a lot of excitements going on here at the moment. Dra- lots of dramas, but it's all good. But I just finished um, the TV show Six Feet Under, so I've been a bit unwell lately, and I've just binged five seasons of a show made twenty years ago, and it's like my favorite show of all time now. So if you haven't watched Six Feet Six Under, Feet I would Under. recommend it. This is exactly what I wanted. Re- where did you find this? So that's my current obsession. And I watched the last two episodes and I just bawled my eyes out and it was exactly what I needed too because I needed to cry. <laughs> so it what? was a great show and I got to cry. Six great. Feet Under. Awesome. Mm. Yeah, it's brilliant. An Aussie Hot. show? No. American. America. Mm. It does It does have Rachel Griffiths in it, so oh. kind of Aussie. Nice. But, yeah, it's American. That's All a right. good one. I'm sure there's lots of good listeners tip. that know it. Lauren, how about you? Got any obsessions? Oh. Maybe we should call it I'm Obsessed With This. Well, actually, do you know what I'm not obsessed with anymore? And I'm touching a lot of wood right now. Sleep. (laughs) I'm not obsessed with children and sleep anymore (laughs) because my child sleeps. Yay. Yay. I'm obsessed with the fact that he sleeps. As soon as you said it out loud, he's going to stop sleeping. That's how it works. I'm holding onto a wooden table (laughs) for life. (laughs) And I'm sitting on a wooden chair. (laughs) Tilda, what about you? I'll go for another music one. I went to see um, a British artist called Self Esteem last week, and she is amazing. I would recommend you check her out, especially if you like female pop stars and being an independent woman. And when I just feel terrible about my life, I just listen to her and it sorts me out. So Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Same. Yeah. So we'll all go watch Six Feet Under and sleep. Listen to Self Esteem. And listen to Self Esteem. <laughs> And look at pictures of Taylor Swift's costumes from the Arrows tour on the internet because that's what I'm obsessed with. God, her costumes are just amazing. She wore this white Logan dress. Later. Yeah, wore a white dress for the folklore set of the second night of her of the opening weekend. And it had like these incredible like long like petal sleeves. Oh my God. Anyway. All right. That's it for this podcast. <laughs> I hope you like my closing my closing idea. I just thought it would be fun for us to kind of we talk a lot off mic about not cycling, and I thought it would be fun for the listeners to hear a little bit of us 
in a non-cycling way uh, just for a couple minutes at the end of each episode. We will be back, uh, Lauren and I, plus a special guest. But thank you so much for listening and uh, have a great week. Thank you.